0: I going to show you guys a new Net Gator, and I'm gonna open it for you guys. Look at that! Look at that! It's nice. It's my signature right there. It wasn't designed by me at all. I had nothing to do with this. The company that's behind this I believe in my vision and design some things and this is one of the things they designed. it's very great material I mean it's really good material made in USA guest is gospel legend icon donald lawrence this was a hard interview to get because he doesn't really do interviews one-on-one podcasts things like that and i get it you know uh he's a legend so he doesn't have to he could choose what he wants to do but i got him i can't believe it this was an end-up interview we recorded this in my office because we're still in the middle of pandemic oh my god so anyway let's check it out I think you're going to enjoy it i love it i had so many questions to ask him and he pretty much answered everything i asked welcome to the carl jackson podcast i am happy and delighted and excited today because today i have a guest that it took me months (laughs) to convince him (laughs) to do my little show but uh he finally agreed after i sent him some money it's the check's in the mail by the way um And no, I mean, it's just, when me started a new television network and me, you know, doing the podcast, I didn't know how to approach this guy because it's not like this is Jimmy Fallon calling him, but I've known him for years. He's a great guy, multiple Grammy award and stellar award winner. Probably would go down in gospel is probably the number one um, gospel producer and arranger in terms of choirs. He's just a phenomenal person. To do this show with us today, so without further ado, Mr. Donald Lawrence. Hey
1: man, what's up? How you doing? Good, sir. How
0: <laughs> you man? <laughs> I'm good. I'm really good. It's
1: very, very nice to get the chance to
0: do this. Yes, thank you. Finally, so oh, I have man. <laughs> many questions to ask you. The first question I want to ask you is, um, where were you, where are you from, and where were you born, and how did you get in gospel into gospel music or just music?
1: Okay, um, I'm, I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, but I grew up in Gastonia, North Carolina, which is kind of like a small town, about 30 minutes south of Charlotte, like a suburb. Um, you know, I grew up with my aunt. I didn't grow up with my mom or my dad. I grew up with my, my mom's sister, my aunt. Um, it was just two of us, so that's why I kind of act like an only child a lot. Um, you know, I, I, it was just us, and um, you know, I grew up in a little small Pentecostal church in Gastonia, North Carolina. Um, And that's that's my start. And, you know, of course, there, you know, when you grow up as a Pentecostal kid, you don't have that much to do. So music was that thing, you know, so I definitely did music and, um, you know, hey, that's that's just what started. That was my outlet music.
0: Did you ever see yourself as a child doing what you're doing now? And did you see it going this
1: far? You know, I always dreamed. I was a big dreamer because I was a big daydreamer because it was just me. You know, you're kind of like an only kid. Not that I don't have siblings, but I grew up with just my aunt, so it was definitely like I was an only child. You, you you, daydream big. So, yeah, I always dreamed that I would be doing music and being in entertainment, but I really thought I would be do, doing Broadway. That was, that was my goal. My goal really wasn't to do what I do now. I figured I would do that eventually, but more as something, a passion project, not as a career. I really always thought that I would be on Broadway, that would be my career.
0: So why was you so into Broadway? I mean, not, it's obvious reasons, the music and the, the you know staging costume, but what, why, why were you so drawn
1: to, to Broadway? I don't know, it just, you know, it wasn't that I was brought up in Broadway culture or that my aunt was, she was just regular Pentecostal mother, you know. Um, it just was in my genes or something. And I loved the song, I, I think I loved the storytelling. Storytelling with song, the storytelling with, with the with the libretto, with the lyric, kind of almost being like a monologue, but it was still to notation. So it's something about that as a kid, it just always spoke to me. My friends from childhood, they said, you would always go see a musical or whatever on TV and come out and reenact everything for us. So they laughed at me today based on what I do, because it was like, we knew you was gonna do this because that's all you do. You come out and try to show us how to block us, show us, so it was that, it was that. And then, you know, as I the gospel music started showing up in me, I started combining the two. I, would just, I was like, why can't you take gospel music and make it do kind of like Rodgers and Hammerstein or something like that? So that's kind of where that was. But I always loved um, musical theater. I always loved um, song and scene and song and storytelling and a song being just a continuation of the dialogue. But in notation, I just always thought that was so unique and smart to be able to write that way.
0: Wow. So um, tell me, I read somewhere you went to C- Cincinnati Conservatory or something? Yeah, Cincinnati Conservatory
1: of Music, and I studied musical theater there. During the time when I went, it was the number one school for musical theater. Um, it was, the department was developed by this guy by the name of Worth Gardner, and he was what, why everybody went there to study with him. And, um, you know, I, I I auditioned and I got in, and the journey started.
0: Wow. Can I ask why did you, why were you raised with your aunt versus your parents? Can I ask that or can I, sure. Sure. No, you can
1: shoot. You can shoot. Um, reason why I was raised with my aunt instead of my parents is my mom, my mom really had, I mean, the, the raw thing is she ended up having an affair and I was a product of the affair. And, um, she transitioned from her husband, which was my stepfather and my father stayed married to his wife so I was in middle and I ended up being with my aunt and I mean I think that you know I I, I always think that when that happens it was meant to be I feel like there are some kids that's just meant to get here and they have to get here the way they get here that's why I'm not I'm not against people getting rid of kids but you just never know who you're going to get rid of because I think that you Know the, the way you get here is just the way you get here, it doesn't always have to be the same way. So, I don't have like abandonment issues, or I don't have issues like that. I mean, I think I was supposed to grow up with my aunt if I hadn't grown up with her, I would be a totally different person, and um, that's just kind of where it was. I mean, I ended up being cool with my mom, you know. Um, when I got a little bit older, um, we spent a lot of time together, but she still felt like an aunt, she didn't feel like my mom, because I bonded with my aunt. So, um, you know, that and then my, I have half siblings on both sides. So I, I got to know, I really knew my mom's side more um, because I was with my aunt. So the maternal side, I was just around my cousins. It was 13 of them. So she had 13, she had one brother and 12 and 11 sisters. So it's a big family on the side. I grew up with around them. So my mom, you know, we always say the Lawrence's was the difference. Was the different of the whole clan? Cause everybody was really close except for my mom. She was just in her own world. She may come to family things. She may not. And so they always tease my nieces and everything that we are. We are kind of like them Lawrence's. Your mother. You. You. Y'all are the distant ones. But I grew up being around my cousins. So I still was a lot around my mom's family. I just didn't grow up around her as much as I grew up around some of my aunts. Like my, one of my other aunts taught me how to drive to we get my license. So I really grew up almost being closer to her sisters than her.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Did they yeah. ever get, did any of them get to meaning your immediate family? Uh, I'm assuming some of them are alive and some of them are not. Did any of them get to see you as the celebrity part of you? Yeah,
1: uh-huh. Yeah, I, you know, the, my aunt definitely got to see you before she passed away. I had kind of gotten going, you know, not where I am now, but I definitely gotten going. She was getting to see me on. TV. I started doing music really young, so they always knew I would do music. And she was, there. she was, she was the one who put me through college. So she knew, she knew that's what I wanted to do. She, she sent me to, to Cincinnati Conservatory, and um, you know, it, it, she was, she was there, she was there. But all of my aunts got to see me, and still, we have of all of them is one still living. So uh, my, my, we call her Aunt Lean, but she's Evelyn. So she's been to a lot of my big things, and she just. She'll say, please do Back to and That's my song, you know? So it's just, just, so she got, she's got, she was the baby sister of them all. She's, she's the, the last one left of the whole crew of them. It was a big family. So your mom is still alive?
0: No, my, no, my mom's
1: not alive. Her baby sister is. Her baby, okay, gotcha. Uh-huh, her baby sister is, Aunt Evelyn.
0: Wow. So um, talk to me a little bit about how you got in the, the industry. The only thing I know about the industry is from Brian Spears which i've known for years but he only knows certain parts of it so what how did you really get started and how and when did you know that you were about to go for a ride
1: um you know it's i have it's a it's such a journey it's a very very unique journey um if you see me looking down it's my dog she is just very spoiled she hates me to be on the, Deja is she's very spoiled she hates for me to be on the phone and she just does things anytime we get there so she's like I hear her smacking out to me, making sure she's not chewing on something she should be. So that's, that's what's distracting me, if you see me look around a little bit. Yes, she's right here in my seat, moving around. <laughs> um, you know, it's a, it's a very unique journey. Um, after leaving Cincinnati Conservatory, I went home. Of course, leaving Cincinnati, being in school, being around musical theater people and doing what we do all the time, um, I got back home and I was like, oh, I gotta do something. I've been doing music for four years. I can't come back home, just get a job and not do this when I've been training for a whole time. So me and a friend of mine, her name was Robin Rose Stewart. Um, we grew up together. She was in first grade with me. She was like my sister. I used to write and she used to sing. So when I got home, I said, Hey, um, there's this place, it was this place in Charlotte called PTL, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. It was, it was a Christian music a theme park. And at that particular time, that was his height. So it was doing tourism second to Disney. It was just it was massive. Huge.
0: No, it was huge. Oh, yeah. It was second to Disney then
1: in my tourism. Parents, was-
0: my parents took me, and I remember right before the scandal broke, Wendy's was about to build like the, the big. Wendy- it was going to be the largest
1: Wendy's in the world. I was working there then. Um, <sighs> I, yeah, the my- largest Wendy's in the world. So what happened was so I You came and BB home- know each other then. From there, he was, they, that's what I'm going to get to. Like, Okay, sorry. No, no problem. Um When I got home, I said, I was there for a minute. I had to figure out something to do. Uh, my crew of friends, they're all really talented, but I was always the one with the go-getter. I was the one who said, okay, y'all, we're going to go do this. I put it together. They just follow along. So I told them, I said, hey, we're going to make a demo. We're going to send it to PTL. I hear BB and CC are leaving. Maybe they'll find another. They want a couple of black people, other black people there. So I did. And um, it was quiet for about two months. And then we, all of a sudden we got a letter. And they said, we really like the demo. Um, we are doing this musical for Christmas. We would love for you guys to come and audition for it. We went and they said, we want to put you in a musical. So they did. And after the musical, they liked our personality and what we did. So they said, we would love to put you guys here full time. And um, they said, give us a minute. We'll think about it. That was like a, it was a Christmas play. So it was Christmas time. By that next May, they hired us full time. So Robin, who was just working a regular factory job, they hired her to work there full time. She couldn't believe she was getting, I negotiated our salaries. She couldn't believe that she was working, singing full time and not doing a regular job, because she was just working in the factory. And um, I, I had just come from school and I said, let me negotiate because I'm just going to say, look, I got my education. You're going to have to do this. So we, we went there and we started working there. While I was there for a year, the middle of that year, one of my friends from the Fire Reptiles Church was in my choir, our district choir, he was a close friend. He called me out of the blue and said, hey, I'm on the set. He, was a, he became a mob. said, I'm on a set and I was playing your song. I had a demo of the song, song called Superman. He was playing and he said, I want you to talk to somebody. And then I, I said, okay. And then Stephanie Mills came to the phone and she said, this song is beautiful. I would love to write song with you. And I said, um, you know, I never wrote any r and stuff because I didn't listen to it growing up. I said, but I know you and I know your theater stuff because I just graduated with musical theater. So I know your Broadway catalog. I just don't know anything else. And she said, I would love to write songs with you. And I said, I think I could write some urban songs. I was just like, I think a songwriter is just a songwriter. You know, you just have to know the story to write it. So I would love to do that. So she said, okay, well, you know, once I finish and get things going, I'm gonna call you, we're gonna take some time to write. Two weeks later, she called me back and said, I don't have a problem. My band just left me, I'm out on tour and I need a musical director. Would you come and be my musical director? And so, you know, I was like, I didn't even know what to say. And what happened was I said, you know, I don't think I'm ready for that. I was like, I never did this before, but if you give me a year to study your music and the learning backwards and forth and come back to me, I will come out I, but I don't think I'm ready to do that right now because I never I never wanted to be a musical director or even a producer. I didn't. I, I just wanted to go to Broadway. That was it. I wasn't one of those kids who started off wanting to be a producer. I wanted to do, I wanted to write music songs and be on stage. That was it. Wow. So um, I don't know how I was so mature to turn that down, but I did. And it's the Taurus in me. We don't like to be the dumb one in the room. And so I'm just like, hey, you know, hey, I'm going to go out there and all these people have been out on the road. I ain't never been here. I'm, and she put me in charge uh, and nah, I don't wanna do that. So um, I did that, I made sure I studied her music. I didn't think she was gonna come back for the next year. She said, okay, I just finished my new album, we're gonna plan for a new tour. You told me to come back and ask you, and so I'm here, what are you gonna do? And you know, I was terrified, but I said, okay. So I stayed at PTO for a year, Robin stayed for four. I left to go on tour with Stephanie. And that started my journey in the business really professional, even though PTO, we were there, we were in front of millions of people, You know for a year but that really started me and I came on as her musical director never been a music never been a musical director at all before um I came in I started doing arrangements for the show of course I had taken um lighting in theater I had taken makeup I had taken I knew all that stuff so I was able to apply that and um you know I got ready for her tour and the, the tour was I feel good all over and I tell everybody this is, I said, this is my first gig. My first gig, our very first show was the Arsenio Hall Show. I said, I was terrified. Like, it was my very first gig professionally out there like that, was Arsenio Hall Show. She was starting a tour and she started to do it there. And I saw Eddie Murphy and Arsenio talking about them themselves on stage and how they would just get lost in their conversation. And our, and our artists got mad at them. Because they went over time, and they was like I think the artist was Stephanie Mills, and I was like it was, and that was our first show. I was actually there. <laughs> I, was, I was actually there. So we all, I was like, wow, that's so it's so ir- the irony is just crazy. So um, I, you know they were talking online the other day about coming to America to come to, to America right. too, and they were going back and talking about our senior show and this and that and the other. Um, so that started the journey right there. And I mean, I thought the first year was cumbersome because I was really finding my way. I tell Stephanie that was we're still the best of friends. I said, you, you threw me out in the water. I didn't know where I was going. She said, But I knew you could do it. Because she didn't help me. They just was like, do it. And um, you know, I thought the first year was a little, little cumbersome, but by the second year, I got my footing. I started adding stuff. And before you know it, people would come to her show and say, Who did the arrangements? Who did the singers? And she was like, Donna. It just kept going and going and going. And you know, um, before that, everybody would just start coming and hitting me and asking me. Yo, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? Um, Stephanie came to me and said, you know what? A lot of my friends from the Wiz passed away. And I would like to redo my song from the musical, Home. It's just, I want to do, I want to make it feel differently. So I did the new arrangement of Home when she, recu- when she cut it. That's why I feel so gospel at the yeah. end. Um, that's why I did that. Me, me and my, I had a guy group by the name of Company and we did the demo. And the producer at that particular time, he didn't use us, he went not use Take Six because Take Six was just coming, but that's where he got the idea to do guys and stuff at the, at the end of it, because that's the way I did the demo. Wow. But
0: that
1: started, that's, that's really kind of how it started.
0: I didn't know any of that, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's really, no, you basically- and this is
1: another thing that's so funny in the journey, when Stephanie lost her musical director. musical director and part of the singers left to go start singing and working with a new singer and that singer was whitney houston
0: oh wow
1: Yep, that's who they they, that was right when she was getting started and they left steph to go there and steph had to put a new band together and that's that's kind of how we got started you know
0: so were you at ptl at the time bb and cc were there or did you replace them
1: we didn't replace them because they didn't replace bb and cc they just brought other black talent.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. So
1: it was four black people there at that time. It was Alicia Williamson. It was a lady by the name of Brenda. It was myself and Robin. And you got to realize with PTL, a lot of people don't know that the inner workings of that, it was shows happening all the time. It wasn't just the TV show. Right. It was a TV show. It was Buffalo Park. Buffalo it was the Park, water park right I was there when they built. So we used to do all of that stuff. And it was Love Came Down, the dinner theater. Yeah, um, I remember that. So it was all of that. You know, so you I guys were working
0: all day. It wasn't like just... It was
1: like a theme so, park. It was like working at Opryland or Disney wow. or something like that. It was that kind of gig, you know?
0: So, so that's it, what we it did. Was, it was basically a, a gig where you were pushing all day every day it was it was tough
1: it was tougher on me than it was Robin because of my theater background i could choreograph so they they made me do a lot of things i played you know they made me play they made me do court they 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 got their money's worth they really (laughs) (laughs) they worked me they worked she would have days off and i would be there i I would be so tired because um they really figured out i was so i could multitask so much they made sure i did it
0: So what did you learn? Oh my God! Now I got four more other questions. So from just PTL, what did you learn the most about being at PTL? Because you got to remember, I was probably, I was definitely a kid. Like I was probably seven or eight, but I remember going, and I remember, um, I had never seen a Christian operation that that was like Disneyland or Disney Mm -hmm. World, and that was like for a child. That's like mind blowing, right? Oh Yeah. yeah. That's like my boy. So what did you learn being in that? Experience? I'm sure you were extremely young and still learning stuff. What did still you learn stuff. from that
1: experience? You know, I'm a, I'm a quick thinker and sometimes a quick learner, especially then what I did to make sure I fit in quickly was to apply it for summer, summer, summer gigs. So when you're studying musical theater, the summer off you go audition with stuff you go audition for Aquaman you go audition for king's island so i applied that i said like, oh this is just like that but it's just all christian so going in once i figured out what it was because i didn't know going once i got there and watched it i was like oh this is just like doing just like all my friends that are doing opium whatever but it's just this so i applied that and i had to i had to train robin while we we're doing it but she never done anything like that she was straight church so I would train her while we were doing so we could just keep up and do our thing. And then they definitely made us do stuff together and um, stuff apart, but we did a lot of stuff together. Sometimes we do our own concerts, um, just the two of us. Wow. And um, what I learned there was, what I've learned out throughout my journey, how to speak all languages you know, mm-hmm. of music. Meaning that, you know, I, you put me in a Broadway room, I know how to talk. You put me in an opera room, I know how to talk. You put me in a CCM room, because that was the epitome of CCM then, that was I know the- how to talk. <laughs> <laughs> it was the epit- epitome of it, yes. It was the p- epitome of the whole evangelical world. That was right there. So I know how to do that. So it made my scope be very broad. You know, Then I turn around and I go do Stephanie Mills. This is when New Jack was just coming on the scene. So that's why I give Teddy Ryder a lot of props because he's who made me want to produce. Um, because while I was out on the road with Stephanie, you had to learn how to duplicate what was on her albums live so i would go in the studio and study all of the producers tracks so that i could make sure we duplicated it to sound just like the record live and as i started doing that i was like oh this is produced and i would look and see teddy put like 20 kicks here or he would lay about 15 20 snares and i was like oh so this is what they're doing so i started learning that and that woke up the producer in me because i never planned on being a music producer but that woke it up and then recreating that live, I was like, well, all I got to do is just do the same kind of thing in the studio, let it record it. So I started, as we started doing live stuff like that, it felt so good because we all, musicians, she allowed me to bring my friends, um, and they all were from church, but they all knew how to do a lot of things. Um, I was like, you know, this is so cool. I would love to do a live album with a choir, but using this same kind of formula. So I started, I said, it was a choir in, in a Carolina area named Tri-City Singers. Um, one of my best friends was the, was the, was the director then. And I used to, he used to go and grab cassette tapes of mine with songs I'd read and teach to him. When I would come off the road and be singing. I was like, man, this choir can really sing. If I ever do a choir album, I would love to feature them singing my songs. So by the time I got ready to do it, he wasn't a choir director. And the choir had dropped about 15 people. So I told them I'm going to do this album. And I said, what I'm going to do is we're going to reestablish the choir. So I brought 15 of my singing friends that I grew up with, along with who was there, and we reestablished a new choir. And that's how the Tri-City Singers was birthed. So the very first album feels like New Jack. It feels like all these beats. That's because I took everything that I had learned just said, let's throw this in the pot. And it's funny because I heard Teddy say this. He said he just grabbed a bunch of genres, threw them in the pot, and the recipe was that. That's what I did, not knowing I was doing it. I just grabbed that. I grabbed my theater, I grabbed my Luther, I grabbed my Whitfield and Crouch influence and my Donald and threw it in the pot. And that's how we ended up with the Tri-City Sanders.
0: That's crazy. And I um, I remember seeing the video a live concert video in the, in the early 90s or uh, yeah early 90s yeah probably bible
1: stories maybe bible stories yeah Did that come from that bible story we had an album before that that was the second album That's the so- first album was called a songwriter's point of view it um it, and, and again it featured stephanie she came into two songs with us um it featured people because people had done a play that i wrote before so i had people i had stephanie in the whole party was an album of my songs I, call, I called it a songwriter's point of view. That was the very first album, and um, when we stepped on the stage, you know, people didn't have beats with choirs then. That was the first time they had ever heard that. So I never forget. We came on stage, and um, the choir came on stage. They were dressed in African sheep then. The, I, they stepped on the stage. We recorded. I never forget. We recorded 1991. And the album came out in 1993. Right. Um, and when we stepped on the stage. Um, the audience stood up and just applauded for like about 15, 20 minutes just on the look before we saw one note, they couldn't believe the look. It just hit them so hard. So when I hear, you know, people always laugh and they're like, Donald Lawson was Wakanda way before Wakanda was. I was like, yeah. And I attribute that because once I kind of created our sound, because I knew that was going to be unique for choirs, I was like, okay, we got a sound now that's going to be ours. Because at that particular time, it was a choir time. So it was Ricky, it was Milton Brunson, it was Mississippi Mass, it was John Key, it was Hezekiah, it was Orlando Draper. It was so many choirs, I was like, how can I do a choir album and find our own name? Once I found that sound, that urban kind of traditional sound, urban, like that urban gospel sound, I was like, okay, we gotta have a look. And so my look was inspired by Soul to Soul and Arrested Development. I loved that that group. So really Tri-City's look was inspired by both I love that look. I said, I want to make the choir look like this. So I dressed the whole choir like that. And that's kind of how we got our, re- our resonance. And that's, that started that journey.
0: So, so it, it makes me wonder, I was going to ask you, why did you choose to do a gospel choir considering there were so many choirs and considering that you had just basically done an R&B tour with Stephanie and kind of was able to speak that language? multiple languages, why did you choose gospel versus just going for, you know, Broadway or R&B? That's so cool,
1: that's so interesting you asked that because at that particular time, I have, I mean, when you ask me these questions, I go all the way back and like, Stephanie, it's so funny because the group, The Deal, their very last show was Stephanie Mills and The Deal. Babyface in LA announced they were getting ready to start producing as LA and Face, At that particular time, a lot of the managers thought, you got potential to be a a producer, are you going to do that? And I thought I was going to do that. But what I learned, and I've always been authentic, it wasn't really, as much as I know it, it's not, it's not like, it's not like where I lived. And I always felt like if I did it, you would slightly kind of feel that I did it good but it wasn't where I lived. Sometimes I was wondering, like, I wonder what it would be if you had written on it and done that, but I don't think it was where I lived, like, it was where they lived. I learned how to do it well, and and people were calling, but I don't know that it was where I live. I think my journey, my unique journey was to blend it, and that's kind of what I did, and that's why I did gospel, because I felt like it felt more authentic for me to do this new kind of urban gospel with with beats and stuff, and, and of course, my very first album, a songwriter's going to be was a partnership with Vicky McLahtayat, who, who, you know, Discovering Kirk. You wouldn't have the Donald Lawrence sound had Stephanie was not giving me the opportunity to find that because it woke up a producer in me. I never wanted to be a producer, but having to duplicate her albums live taught me on the spot how to produce. And that's why I'm so picky with sounds. And I still give, like, Teddy Riley his props today. I would go study his tracks because they, they resonated with me because there was something about them that was gospel, but at the same time it was that hip hop, at the same time it was those beats. And, and the beats, even though they were, they were drum beats, um, they reminded me of what we would do as a young choir in church. Pentecostal, Pentecostal kids grew, we grew hard, you know. So it just reminded me of, but it was just programming. I was like, this just reminded me so much of like the youth choir. So it just resonated with me. And I just took all of that I learned and I mixed it together and you know, what we did was, my first album was we had MPC there and the drums and nobody was doing that then. And we kicked it in and the choir sang and the audience was just mesmerized with it. And that's kind of what started that kind of beat thing with the choirs. And again, I, I, I um, let Vicki Mack here, um, who people know from starting, um, you know, Kirk, she heard it. And she said, Oh my God, this is the sound that I want my label to have. Wow. And so we worked out a situation where we partnered and she released that album. It was our very first release. Um, and she was like, this is what I want to start my label gospel century with because I want it to be a young, kind of fresh, unique kind of thing. And I started there. We worked together. And a lot of people don't know that um, after that, she said, it's, it's funny, she, um, the album was so cutting edge. It was actually too soon, honestly. Um, it was so cutting edge that she said, hey, you know, I got my second artist coming it's this young guy um and i can't let the album come out after yours which yours being so sophisticated i gotta make sure that i keep this so she said please listen to this i don't like the mix and so she asked me if i would go back and remix um the album his album and that person was kirk franklin um and she was like i don't have any money but i'll give you a point on the album and i didn't you know i just was like i didn't know him i mean because i hadn't been on the gospel scene for a while then I was with Steph. So I didn't I didn't know him. And I mixed the album and I know him. I would hit him and say, Well, I'm gonna make this cut right here. Is that okay? You know, hit it, but I I didn't know him. And I sit and I sit in the studio for her and I mixed the reason why we sing, I mixed He's Able, I missed the whole album. I even edited the album and put it in a sequence for her. Like so a lot of people didn't know that. Yep. Absolutely. Kirk would tell you that, she'll tell you
0: too. I knew it because Brian Spears told me.
1: Yeah. He was
0: driving driving from L.A. to Vegas one time years ago, and he goes, you know, this sound is because of Donald Lawrence. And I, one of the things I couldn't figure out, because I'm from Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, even though I live in San Diego now. but
1: I love San Diego, by the way. I love San Diego. I love San Diego, by the way. I ain't leaving. Just so (laughs) you know.
0: (laughs) Come on, man. Anytime visit. I love Um, it. Uh one of the things I remember about that sound was I kept thinking this is not a this is not the Dallas sound. It's polished not that Dallas artists are not amazing. Oh, they're amazing. I mean they're yeah. amazing. But at that time, amazing. I was going, this sound, when you hear that first note to um Reason Why We Sing, the melody and the mix and just the feeling of it was so like oh. and so Brian was like, Well, you know that's from Donald Lawrence. And I was like, uh uh-uh. uh, and he's like, "Yep, he did. He just didn't take credit. He just took yeah. a point." You know, I was just doing it to help her.
1: I was just doing it to help her get her latest started. You know, wow. that was really what I was doing. I was just trying to. You no, know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, all, I've always kind of been that guy. Like, you know, if I can help somebody get their their dream going, I've just always been that I've just done it's that. In, it. in you. Yeah, you know, I just like, hey, y'all see this? Do it, and I'm gone about my business. You know, so that was it. And of course, you know, no one knew it was going to blow up like it did, but it. It did it was massive, and was you shocked when it when you saw your check from the first check from the <laughs> correct You know what? I was shocked, but more than, more than anything, I was just like, I never would have thought it would pay me. I really thought I was just doing it for free. Well, wow. I didn't think I was gonna ever get anything from that, I th- but I thought, don't get me wrong, I thought the music was good, I thought it was gonna be a great, successful gospel album. I didn't know that it was gonna cross over, no, I didn't know that, I didn't know that because. I was thinking like, yo, it didn't have the beats and things like that. Kirk added beats the second album, you know. The, the first album was a little bit more straight tradi- traditional. Um, so I, I didn't know that. But once it did, I was like, wow, this is incredible. And of course, that, that set on her Journey and everybody was happy was, So know.
0: as a producer, looking back, what do you think about that album that resonated with people and it crossed over? I remember, I remember white people were buying that record, like they weren't even going to church. They mm-hmm. like country music. I, yeah. I remember vividly walking to a music store and seeing them behind that record. So what- I think you, it was just the right
1: time and it was just a good song. The reason why we sing made people feel good, that it was a great message, even though it was straight gospel sounding, the message still was very inspirational. You're the reason why, why I sing. I think all of that, the way it felt, um, I think music music reaches the heart. And I think that when you make it authentic, that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to do R&B. I didn't know for sure if it would feel it would feel like how one bass writes a song. I may have been able to write kind of similar like that, because a lot of people feel like I had those chops. But I don't know if it would have felt the same. I, I would have just been doing it right. I would, you know, how somebody can just do all of everything right and it just be right, but it's just still that feeling is just right. you just tell. You know, you can just tell. I'm sure doing film when someone's acting, you can tell when somebody is it or they're acting it. You know, it, to me, music is like that. You know, and they can act it well, but you'll know.
0: So do you think? Uh, okay, so so then let me ask the question this way: You mentioned earlier that Teddy Riley had some gospel influences in the beat. I mean, let's be honest. When you listen to "Remember That Time," just the track,
1: it, it, sounds, like,
0: it sounds like it sounds Pentecostal uh, youth church after young adult choir. Young adult choir, we young rock adult choir. Those just like that. Exactly. It sounds like "Remember That Time" is a gospel track. So yeah. it reminds me of that. So if you if Teddy could do that and still make it work, why didn't you feel like you could? It's just a question. I'm just curious as to why do you think you couldn't have made that same flair that Teddy? Because did? Teddy and gospel.
1: I, I understand, but see, Teddy and Steel as much as he did that. Teddy and him still did clothes and stuff. I never did that, so they still understood what that was supposed to feel like. I would have been just guessing. You know what I'm saying? I would have known, black, like, but. Mine would have still felt, I think mine would have felt like church, where his would have felt like church and club, because they did church and club. They. I feel like music is where you live. I didn't live club, so you would have known that I didn't have that address. Now, I might have been on stage with Stephanie's touring, that's not the same thing as the club, you know what I'm saying? I was there with lights and people, and once we finished, i get in the car with her and leave. Band and went party, I never went party. So... I didn't have that thing in me to I, really make sure that, that really sound well, right? Authentic, anyway.
0: I no. got it. I heard Pharrell say something about that. He was talking about how when he wrote the song "Happy," he was thinking of the mighty clouds of joy, and that was what he was said I was trying to emulate or imitate, but he made
1: it still pop because he uh-huh. understands pop. Yeah. He has been doing pop for a minute. So, you know, it may, you can, I think two worlds can come together, um, and be authentic, but you got to authentically live both of them. So that way it just feels like you walked that address versus, you know, where the address is and you could just say, Hey, go here and give the right direction, but you didn't live. So that's, that's kind of why I I feel like I didn't do it. I don't know that, I don't know that it would have worked.
0: Bible stories is one of the biggest sellers still today I'm hearing. Um, how does that, why do you think that record still sells even though it's now 22, 25 years old now? Probably 25 years, it was 25. 1995. That thing is still like something that still people play. Why do you think that is? I mean, it's an amazing piece, but what do you think um, that resonates with people that for them to still want to hear that record?
1: I, I think timeless songs, timeless never gets old. Um, I think it was conceptual, you know, it was a, it was pretty much like my new albums, it was theater mixed with choir and it was it was and that's who I was as a kid you know so just those things and putting that a story together with song and choir and that I think that's why it still sells it was just a thing of its own um for that particular time I always tell people timeless never goes out of style timeless is just timeless it is Great songs never go out of style. Great songs is a great Song." It just lasts. So, you know, we had we had a lot of singles off of that. record: Stranger, Peter, Come oh um, Let Me Wash Your Feet, When Sunday Comes, I Am God. And so we had like about six singles off of that because people really released a lot of singles back then. And um, I always was a person that wanted the whole album because I didn't want B cuts. I, wanted, I really wanted an album full of singles. And I didn't think of it commercially. I just knew I wanted it to be an album full of great songs because growing up, when I would listen to um, Crouch or the Hawkins or Penny Cummins, every song was great. And I was like, I want to make albums where all of the songs are good. Unique in their own space, but good. I don't want B-cuts. I want everything to be great in A-cut in its space, you know. So, um, I think that that's, that's why that album did still, still um, circulates.
0: So, um, you went solo. Uh-huh. After a while, you went solo. I Speak mm-hmm. Life, that album is a classic. Thank you. I love that record. Yeah, that was fun to do. It is just freaking phenomenal, if I could say the word freaking. Oh, Um, yeah, you can. Thank you. One of the things I realized with your work is you study before you implement whatever you're doing, and that's why it's so good. But one of the things I noticed was you must really study the Word of God or the Bible because your lyrics are so unique, but it's still the Bible. And it's yeah. like, Andre Crouch could do that too, where they could take a scripture and literally make it,
1: it singable.
0: you ever heard, yeah. right? Yeah, he, he used
1: to, used to, to tell, tell me that all the time. He used oh, to tell wow. me that all the
0: time. Yeah,
1: really? He used to always say, you remind me of myself. If there's anybody out here that reminds me of myself, you remind me of myself. But he was really kind of like a mentor. So um, we would talk, and sometimes I would, I would have something, and I would call him. I I'd hear myself doing this sometimes when young writers hit me and say, I want you to hear something. And I would go, like, what's the lyric?" That's what Andre used to say. I would I would say, I got this song, what you He What's the lyric? And if I gave him the lyric, he said, oh, That's good, son. That's good. And I find myself doing that to, to some of the young writers when they'll hit me and say, I have something to hear, I said, What's the lyric? Because I immediately want to know what the subject matter is before I even hear this, the melody of the song. I want to know what he what talking about. And um, that's probably what you hear. I, I, I like studying the Bible not just from a religious perspective or to be deep or anything like that. I think they're just interesting stories. and interesting mm. trans, like trans, um, I like just transcended wisdom there, you know? And I like work, I like gra- grabbing that, figuring out how to put it to, to melody and make people think about things and think about how to have, how to live their best life. So that's why I like to write from scripture a lot. I, I just find a lot of wisdom there and figure out ways to, to uniquely put it to songs.
0: No, I think it's amazing how you do that. I mean, I think it's amazing. When you were growing up, who were your influences? You mentioned Andre Crouch, you mentioned the Hawkins. Uh, who was like your biggest influence in gospel or r and Probably. Um, the- my biggest influence yeah. is three people I was at
1: the top of, it would be, well, maybe four. Um, it would be Andre Crouch. Okay. Luther Vandross. Study him to this day.
0: ain't no joke.
1: <laughs> Genius. He's a textbook for me. Yeah. I studied no him jokes. in and out. Um, his approach to vocals, his approach to writing, he, he was one, he's, my, he's definitely my favorite um, male army singer. Just leaves no stone unturned. It's just perfection. Um, so Andre Crouch, Luther Vandross, on the musical theater side, Stephen Sondheim. He was just that left side of the page, approach to music theater, uh, amazing. So he was, in, he was my study on that side. So Luther, Andre, Stephen Sondheim, Twinkie, again, lefty, that left, like left page thing. And then maybe Tom Whitfield, yeah.
0: Thomas Whitfield is, I was just telling somebody the other day, uh, we were we were talking about Thomas Whitfield and we were saying how he is the most underrated gospel artist of all time, but probably the most influential for choirs.
1: Absolutely, that sound is definitely, that sound approach, oh, yeah. Tri-City pretty much, was an urban version of the Whitfield Company. That because that's still my favorite choir. I love the Whitfield Company. My so, favorite
0: Thomas Whittaker record is "Oh How I Love Jesus." That whole oh, album and what, is just the genius.
1: Insane, oh, man. insane. Holy, And me. Tom, the song hold Me is just it was insane. Tom really um, is so funny that we were talking about him when we first recorded the first album, a songwriter's point of view. We did it on um, in May. And I wanted Tom to come and do a song with us. And he couldn't do it because it was the first year he started his My scroll So um, of course, Brian Spears managed him. And right. um, once we finished the album, Brian, I said, well, you, Will you you think Tom will listen to this? Because it was my, you know, it's gonna be my first right. offering to the industry. Um, I said, You think Tom will listen to us and give us some pointers? So once I finished the album, I did the demos, we had done posts, and we hadn't mixed anything. I sent him the album, just like, the, like the, the, the roughs really good, but it was really good roughs. And he listened to it and he was just blown away. He couldn't believe how much he felt himself in it to not know me and I me, mean, not to grow up, grow up around him. He couldn't believe it. And um, he and Gwen Morton talked about it. So we set up a time to talk. He said, tell this young brother I wanna to talk to you. So we set up a time to talk and um, it was supposed to be a Monday. Gwen Morton said they listened to the album on a Friday. And he said all he did was just talk about, I can't believe this guy has me like that, and I don't know him. And he died that Saturday, and we never got a chance to talk.
0: Oh, we no. never got a chance oh. to talk.
1: Never got a chance to talk. And the choir tells me that to this day. They tell me the same story over and over. It's like he talked about you that Friday before he died. Like he was just wow. that. So, yeah, I, I loved his approach to, to the choir, the way he would kind of take. Um, a major chord and sing there and stay there against all the transitions it's, it's what I call unavailable tension. You have this unavailable tension happening between his big old extended chords and they're just singing that triad in the middle. My loved all that stuff. So he was a big influence. But of course Richard, Edwin, Walter, all of them it's a mix of that. You know let me ask you something
0: work. about Edwin and Andre. Those two I want to ask you about. So Edwin to me was like the Frank Sinatra or the Dean Martin, or the Johnny Mathis of gospel, his voice was so silky. It was so what, silky. What did, what did you get out of Edwin? What did you learn from uh, Edwin? I'm gonna ask um, Andre about the same thing about Andre, but I have a different question on Andre. But I got what, you. what was that that you liked, that sound about him?
1: I love the polishness of it. I love his sophistication. Um, I love his ability to sing for every audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that, you know, his 70s, his 70s sound had this retro kind of hippie kind of thing going on with it. And I loved that about him. It was very retro. Um, he was on his own thing, you know, it was really, he was kind of, you know, this is pre-Walter. So Edwin really is like the global star. He just was a global star and knew how to sing for Dean Martin or the Smothers Brothers or turn, then turn around and sing in church. He knew exactly what to do with it. We 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 became really close, even probably closer than me, and Andre for sure. Um, and Andre so was, definitely was with
0: him, him when he died, right? weren't you with him huh? when he died? You was with Edwin when he died, right?
1: I wasn't with him when he died, but I was with him four days before he died. I got to Walter's house thirty minutes after he passed away. Oh, so, wow. but I was there with both of them, you know. And um um um, and the, the thing about it is. Um, I thought Edwin just had that thing that for that particular time. He, it, was, it, it was political, too, so he really had a sound and worked with the Black Panther movement that happened around that time. It was just very, very, it's a very unique, um, he has a very unique story, and, and we talked, um, it was so funny, like his very first tour, his very first tour, the first stop was, well, the second stop, one first stop was this the big rock festival in the Bay Area, the second stop was Yankee Stadium, the um, Isley Brothers anniversary. That's his, That was his first gig. He said, I didn't even know we were famous. He said, we were there in that big old stadium with all those people. He said, when I played that intro to oh Happy Days, the whole crowd just started screaming and ran to the stage, like just bombarded." He was like, that's when he realized they were really famous. He just said, I didn't know. And that was it, it was crazy. But can you imagine that wow. iconic recording of the Isley Brothers and everybody that did that concert had to sing an Ivy Brothers song except for Edwin. Edwin and them did their own stuff. They were the only one. Everybody else did Ivy Brother songs.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So um, Andre, what, what, what did you learn from Andre? I know you guys were really close. I have an yeah. Andre Crouch story. I almost, I was talking to him before he passed about doing a movie on his life. And we were meeting frequently and one of the things that I won't do is I won't do it now that he's dead because he had such he had so many stories that only he would tell you that I could put in the movie versus now it would just be whatever I remember and then making up the rest of it as whatever. I don't want to do that story. But I remember when I one time I, I we were at his house and he goes, I said, you know, I asked him, why did you? you know, never get married, have children, you a big star, you know, most stars go get married and look the part or whatever. And he said something to yeah. me that I will never forget. He said, because he said, I never met a person or a woman, fine enough, that would want, that would make me want to lose my anointing. Wow. <laughs> That's exactly what he told me. I was sitting there for like <laughs> Two weeks going, what the fudge did he just tell me? Like, wow.
1: (laughs) That's incredible. That's Andre, though. He was so, man, Andre, for me, Andre's one of the greatest songwriters of all genres that's ever lived. They just, they would just ooze out of him. Like, I just, I just would shake my head and like, how can you write these melodies over and over and over and over It sound like we've heard it, sound like been for like a hundred years. Like a, that's just almost impossible to do. He was just a flood of songs. Always did, always did. And, um, you know, he told me that, you know, he would hear songs in his sleep and he would wake up and his right leg would be tapping to the rhythm. So he would get up, get his tape recorder, put it down and go back to bed. He told me he just always hear songs. And um, one time he called me um, and he said, Hey, I got this partial song, I'm gonna send it to you, I want you to finish. And I was like, me finish one of your songs? He was like, yeah. He was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sing a little bit on, on tape. And I'm gonna send it to you. So he did. And I kept it and I lived with it. And I finished it. And I didn't let him hear it. I let the choir record it. And I didn't let him hear it until it was getting ready to go to the radio. And that was Bless Me to Prayer of J Bass.
0: Oh, that's you. Wow. We
1: we co-wrote that together.
0: That's crazy. I didn't know And
1: he heard that song. He called me. He was crying. He said, I had to go over. He said, I can't believe you took that little demo that I sent you and turned it into this. And I was like, that's what I heard. It was like, wow. So, was yeah, we co-wrote that together.
0: So, how does it feel now that these guys have passed? You're pretty much in that seat now. You are that guy. You are the (laughs) You at the top of the of the food chain. You, Kirk Franklin, has you guys are now the, the Mount Rushmore. What does that feel like looking back at your journey and now seeing you are in that position? What does that feel like t- for you? It's, it's it's kind of surreal, but
1: it's hard to see yourself there because you was always the kid looking up at them. Right. And when you replace them, or not replace them, when you take the seat right. in place of them, right, it's hard to see yourself there because I'm still. I'm, when I go back and listen, I'm still a kid. I turned into a kid again, you know, listening to his music and, you know, I do, I, I, every now and then I go, wow, you got to work with everybody you admire." It's Very few people, I didn't get to work with Luther. I, I ask everybody Luther questions all the time. Anybody who's worked with him, I just sit down and listen to the stories because I was fascinated with him. But, you know, I love that I've been able to do great work on Cam, do great work on the Clark sisters, to co-write a song with Andre, to write seasons and let Walter sing it, and and that become a part of Walter Hawkins' catalog because he's another one of the most amazing writers. He didn't need to do nobody; he need nobody's songs, you know. So when Walter would add that to his repertoire when he would tour, I was like, "Wow, you wrote a song, that Walter added to his show that he that people are requesting him to sing." And I was, so it just it really makes me feel great. um I'm honored, and I and I thank God for that journey. I never I don't know if I ever would have thought I would done that, but I do thank God, God for the journey to really, really, uh, you know, I'm just amazed at, at that, because I, I really am still a fan of all of them. It, I'm just, I'll always be a fan.
0: So are you, um, I, you, we talk. let's talk a little bit about the Broadway stuff. So I know you're working on some stuff with B.B. Wine and his Broadway play, but you also have a Broadway play as well that you're yeah. you about to do it in Chicago, right? uh-huh it was really um
1: it's my latest album it's called goshen and it's the story of the exodus but with a told a different kind of way with a twist and i wasn't doing straight scripted broadway this was going to be um the dance theater yeah gotcha. so the songs told the story with the gotcha. lyric and it was partnered with a dance company it's a dance okay. company here um called deeply rooted they're kind of pretty much like the alvin ailey of chicago and we came together, so it was going to be a duet between choir on stage and them. And we told the story in song and dance. So um, Broadway Chicago was premiering it last May, but the pandemic just kind of squashed it. We had prepped up, and that was going to be premiered. It's going to be my album, Goshen, on stage as a theatrical production, more like a theatrical event. Um, the, so it was it was included. It had hip-hop, it had um, ballet, it had um, modern, it had tribal, because all of those influences are in the album. It was just going to be this unique 90-minute stage presentation of dance and choir, and it was just going to tell the story of the Exodus in a very unique kind of way—not script and not script and dialogue, but it would just be a movement of songs and dance. So it's going to be—I love dance theater too, as as a as a as an art form in, in musical theater. So I wanted to do that. I thought that would be unique, based on doing just another musical with script, which I love that too. But I wanted to do this, and that's kind of what we were planning on. I think we'll get back to it in 2022, but um, we're going to wait and see when the theater really opens back up
0: and stuff. So why did you decide to release the record anyway, since you were going to release it with the, with, the, with the musical, right? No, actually,
1: we, we released the album first. It was like the soundtrack before the show. So we okay, released the you. album a year before the show, and okay. the show was going to follow it up. So okay. I'm really doing Goshen extension with five new songs okay. that will okay. carry us into next year and we'll okay. try to redo the same thing again.
0: So the music video I just saw, that's just one of the five songs.
1: Mm-hmm. That, no, that's actually one of the songs from the first release. It is. just getting to it. It's a lot of stuff oh. on there. Yeah. It's a song you need to hear. When I was thinking about was doing this, I said, I'm going to hit him. I'm going to send him this song. And I want to see what visually he would do with this by directing the video. Yes, I'm going to direct it's it. It's straight art. It's just straight art. It will be really cool. And it's a song that... that I ain't even going to say it's radio or straight art. It was so good. I would just love to see what, what the visual would be. And it's called, um, there's a scripture that says, he rebuked the Red Sea and, and the water um, and the water dried up like a desert. So I took that whole story and talked about um, how we can speak to our challenges and the water dries up and we can cross over. So the whole final thing says you can cross over. It's just about people getting through challenges speaking to the challenge and not becoming a victim of the challenge, but speaking to it and telling the water to drive across all of it. so it's, it's that is that message.
0: Send me the record so I can hear it.
1: I will. I Let's definitely
0: will. See we can I future. definitely will. Um so I wanna pivot pivot <laughs> into another section before I go into the top five. You and Edwin are probably the only two artists that I know of that go that went across the waters before pandemic and you would do gospel uh workshops and gospel concerts what did what experience did you experience going over across the the seas? I remember I think one time you was in Switzerland I think was it Switzerland yeah I've done quite a bit I kind of got around and it was crazy how they were like so into it I saw like a I don't know if it was on PBS or something but I saw it on some video or some record some network and you had your backpack on and you just vibing, you know, you weren't even trying to be Donald the star. You know, I just was just in jail. What yeah. was, what is that like seeing gospel spread across the waters uh, from your Man, It's
1: amazing. Music is just universal. And you know, the people in America sometimes, you know, they don't travel abroad a lot. So they pretty much think the world is American, that's it. But if, when you go across the water, you really get a different type of education um, you know, what I did is I paid attention to Andre and, and Edwin. One of the things that they did, they didn't just go across to Europe and all these different countries and just sing. They got to know them. So I took time to hang out and like they're my friends. Like I talked to Sandra Crouch about she said, Donald. When you make friends with them, it'll be lifetime. She said, there are people we met that we're lifetime friends. I feel like I've met lifetime friends with them, but I didn't just go do music. I sat down and went to eat with them. We took drives on, um, you know, some of the choir masters and people, they took me like, on oh, to see this and take, you know, it's just that. And we still talk, we text us, the pandemic's here. They'd call me asking me to do things with them. I'll do it, but we just became friends. It was beyond just working together and doing music. Um, to hear gospel over there, it's just so refreshing because their heart for it is just they love the art form. And it's not, it's, it's spiritual for them too, but more than they, they appreciate the art form like you would appreciate jazz or opera or gospel or blues or anything. They appreciate the art of it and the technique of it. They wanna know from a technical and an academic perspective how to do this. And because of my, my education, I know how to kind of take it in the academic at the same time, make it feel the way it's supposed to feel. So. Um, yeah, it was really cool going to, um, to, to Sweden. Um, I, there is a choir in Switzerland that I'm supposed to do something with, but I couldn't do it because of the pan- pandemic. Um, I went to Riga, Latvia. And it was the biggest surprise in my life. It was so good. And just being in that country way up like kind of Northern Europe, like that, it's just so interesting, um, um to Barcelona, to Madrid, to, um, London, to, Norway and to Copenhagen. I had never been to Copenhagen before. I love before. Copenhagen. And oh, it's I love it. Amazing. It's, yeah, it's amazing. amazing. It's yeah. amazing. I, I love it. And honestly, Edwin wanted me to take his music and arts over. That was one of the last things he told me. I saw him you know, prior to his, his transition. He said, Donald, no, I really need you to look me in the eye and tell him, promise me, you will take music and arts and you will do something with it. So my plan last year in, was in April. We we're gonna relaunch music and arts in Copenhagen. And and then that May I was supposed to do um Goshen on stage. So both of them got canceled. So I'm hoping we can get to it next year. And you know, you have even you know, if we do you gotta you gotta come and film, man, and create something visual out of that.
0: You know what? It's funny, you said that. I literally got, I'm not lying, he you know I'm not lying. I literally was thinking, I've gotta take a crew and do a documentary when you do that. You, you, I, I was just, I literally you was gotta kidding. come and
1: film that, man. It's and I, I was my literally plan was to put all of these people in the room. People from here, from London, from they were all coming. They were coming from Madrid, from Ireland. I went there too, and all of them were planning on coming. And I, I wanted to take Edwin's vision and really go back to making it global and not just U.S. So yeah, hopefully we're gonna get back to that next year. And I think it's a lot there.
0: I'm going with you because it's funny. <clears throat> I love it. I I wanna do it because I I really feel, and I said this kind of before we started recording, I feel really bad that nobody, maybe it was my fault, I don't know, but nobody recorded Andre and Edwin and their stuff that they did that we could watch and they could go throughout time. So it's like, now that I'm here and and you're here and you're at the peak of your stuff, it's like, this is the time to do it. Technology has made it where we can literally get on a plane with a crew of five and make and it look
1: real. like we had a crew of 50.
0: And yeah, make gotcha. It just look amazing.
1: So okay, I, yeah. am I, okay,
0: am, cool. I am, I am in. Okay, cool.
1: The plan is to relaunch it in Copenhagen. And um, from there, we decided it's gonna sit there or we might go to some of the other countries.
0: That is so dope. Do you know that? Yeah, that's my plan.
1: Oh
0: yeah. my God, yeah. see that's if next I wanted time. to
1: do that is, you know, just taking, cause I, I never wanted a conference so I had, you know, you're not gonna look at somebody on their dying bed and go, "No, I don't want to do this. I couldn't do that." That, was my heart. Like we were really close. i still still missing to this day. Like we're really close. Um, I, I can't even believe he's not here. Um, so I, I was, I took two years to figure out what I wanted to do to make it unique for me to make me want to do it. I was like, I know, I want to go and grab all the people I just met, mix them with the people that I know, and we just do something global because I think that's what Edwin, and Andrea all stood for. I wanted to get back to global awareness of music and gospel, not just U.S. based. And I also didn't want us to come and sing to them. I wanted us all to sing together, and that's what they love because they work at this. They don't want you to come and they don't want to come and just be the audience. They want to do it with you, and that's what I that's what I really wanted to
0: see. That is so dope. So yeah. Uh, Thanks man. Appreciate that. Um, Let me ask you this before we get to the top five. So your sound, I had so many questions, but I don't want to take up all your time, but there, there, your sound is so, I can't, I can't even put into words, but I, I can say this. You can't because it'll look weird, but I honestly don't think there's anybody in gospel that has your sound right now. And that's probably why you have, you do so many other records, you know, Clark sisters or whatever is because you have such a unique sound. What is your technique? Because it's, it's not, you're not really copying anybody. It's really your signature sound. How do you work? How do you get that?
1: Um, you know what, it's just over the years of crafting it and um, also just not de- denying my influences. That's why I always get the props. I have influences, but when you take it's like taking a bunch of spices and put them together that hadn't been put together before you get a new recipe. And that's kind of what it is, it's a little Donald, it's a little Whitfield, it's a little Swanheim, it's a little Crouch, it's a little Hawkins, it's a little, you know, it's all of that kind of blended for something to make, to create something new. I think we're all influenced by different people. And so I love being one to take the journey, to continue to take the journey on, and hopefully someone behind me is continue to do that. But I think that, you know, just my experience of being out with Stephanie, understanding that. I'm a little OCD, so the detail in that comes from me being a little bit like that. And I think just all those experiences together, you put it on, on record and put it on the audio, and that's what you get. That, that really is what you get. I'm a stickler about detail. I'm a stickler about detail when it comes to story. And that's, that's what I do. So I do research. I'll go back. I'll say, okay, if I'm going to redo the song, I not know what you did. I need to do that. And I might add something of me to it but I want the, at least the root of it to be this. So we got that there that feels like the authentic thing. And then I'll take it a little further after that.
0: You know? When you did the song Quiet Time, Crouch, I was shocked that, here's what here's what blew my mind. The background vocals were just like Andre, right? But it was so much richer and I was like, "How
1: did he make it? How did he take it to the next level?" It's it's like know. me with Andre, you know. Yeah. so, But I know how Andre's supposed to feel, so it's making it feel like him in that little bit because I studied that because I think Andre like Luther. Those two are my favorites when it comes to background vocal arranging. Like you know, Andre just knew how to make the background vocals have certain character around the songs, and it would just Luther was the same way. They had it was it was beyond just singing uh, a background vocal part, but it was. Character, like it was the colors of the way they do things. It just so it enhanced the story so much, and I studied that. So it's that. Plus, I like the, the Southern in me, like that richness, that bottom, that richness. So it's putting that along with what they already did. So that that's that's what you see.
0: You do you doing the music for BB's play too, right?
1: Yeah, I did the musical arrangements, some choral arrangements. BB asked me about that years ago. He thought I was being funny. He thought I was being sarcastic. He said, I'm doing this musical, and he said, I want you to, you to come in and work with me on it. And I said, uh, he said, I want you to, you know, be the musical supervisor. I said, sure, just hit me when you, I said, hit me when you got it done. And he thought I was being, like, right. throwing him off. But he said, lo and behold, nine years later, seven years later, here we are. I said, I knew you couldn't, first of all, I know how picky you are. I knew you weren't going to be able to write a libretto in a year. That right. don't work like that. What? And I knew that from my training, so, and I knew you your opinion, and I know you're gonna want it to be great. It just ain't gonna happen that fast. And so not that I was throwing you off. So we laugh about that too. Right. This day. He said, you did say, I, was like, I wasn't being funny. I was like, okay, when you get it together, hit me. And he did. And the reason why he hit me is because it's about he and CeCe's life told through his eyes, but it's, it it has a lot of it has a lot of um, layers to it. And just so happened I lived those layers. Like, it 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 talks about his church bringing and the whining sound in it. I knew that. Talks about him being a PTL singer. I knew that sound authentically. It talked about him and BB and CC. They did like what we call I call late eighties, early nineties R and B. That was Stephanie. I knew that. He also hung out with Luther. Luther did a lot of the background vocals. I knew that. Then it was musical theater. And I knew that. He was like, and then it was this great. Contempt gospel. And I knew that. So he knew. I knew authentically knew all the worlds. So I, I, I did the music of supervision for him, um, background vocal ranges. And I also coached all of the singers to put them into their role vocally for, for a lot of the songs. So it's, it's a really great show. I can't wait for that to get back up and going as well. I, I tell everybody, if you really wanna see me be like a kid, put me in the theater. It's still, it's still my number one passion. Much as I've done, much as you've seen me with records, put me in the theater, you'll really say, oh. That's where he's really at home. BB just laughs at me because I would just be there and I stay there all day. And he would just laugh his like, He just shake his head. I said, this is home.
0: Would you ever do, would you ever do acting, like play a lead role in a movie? Um,
1: because I funny funny you say that too I have a story for you. It's funny you say that too. I would have to get, I would have no one knows this, but when I got ready to go to college, there was a voice teacher that I studied with and she was a Juilliard grad. So what she did was she would take her top students and she would audition them for schools. She didn't want us to go to North Carolina. She wanted us to go to what she considered the top conservatories of the country. So she would take us and audition. Cincinnati at that particular time was the number one school to study musical theater. Um, at that particular time, Juilliard didn't have a musical theater department. She knew that's what I wanted to do. So what she did was she took me to NYU, made me audition for drama. And they had they were gonna send me to do music I want a full scholarship in drama to NYU. I, I didn't go. I like, it was just great drama. So I would have to get back into acting. Yeah, because you want one of those people.
0: You're just not going to do it just because I'm Donald Lawrence.
1: No, because I'm, I would like to craft too much. I like to craft. No. Yeah. I would want to be there. I would be open to it if I felt like I could bring the chops. I pants I, down, because I love it. I watch monologues all the time, but I would want to make sure. I was delivering the crap, not just doing it. Cause I'm Don Lawrence, I don't want to do that. No, I want, okay. I want you to watch it and go like, "Wow, he like nailed it." So that's what I would have to get a coach. But I'm open. I just, I would just have to really. I want a coach. I would really want to make sure that it just didn't look like somebody a you know, gospel. Thing, try and try to do something. Yeah. yeah. I ain't trying to do <laughs> 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 I'm too critical about theater and in and, and, and the art and you know the delivery. So I would want to really take it real serious.
0: So I, I remember you <clears throat> um you did something on the Clark Sisters record, the, the soundtrack, like the full soundtrack, right?
1: Of the movie?
0: Yeah. For the movie? Oh, yeah. I did all the music for the movie. Did you, did you, what did you think of the movie? The music was amazing, but what did you think of the movie? How did you start? I like the,
1: see, I love, you know, I love Angeneal. She's just, she's just a a, beast. A, amazing. Just amazing. I I love the story. I didn't know that, I didn't know that people was going to like that story like that, but they really did like it, the story. It, it like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm cool with Christine Swanson, who directed it. I, I did a lot of her research on trying to make sure that it was authentic Twinkie so you know it was it was a tough gig because you know these things you know especially a gospel story sometimes they don't have the budget it's like hurry up and go you don't have like that long lead time so it was I was nervous because Clarkson's got a beehive and you messed it up there she alive. um I had like 14 days to get five ladies who had never met each other or seen together to duplicate the Clarks, because the, the singing, that's all the cast. That's not the Clark sisters at all, nowhere. The Clarks sisters even asked me if I brought Twinkie into dub. And I was like, no, that's them. But I knew their sound. I knew exactly what every voice needed to do with placement, with air, with approach to make it sound like they were in there. And um, so I'm proud of that. I, when I go back and I was like, wow, y'all came so close to sound like the Clarks. It's unbelievable. Wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. You did that soundtrack in 14 days, getting them together for, in 14 days?
1: Really, actually less. The music was the first five and the singing was a, <laughs> I actually because you I mean you know how it is, you have a shoot schedule and you have no choice. It was like weird, this scene happens here. So you gotta be done by here. It, I'm a, I'm an overachiever. So I just sat down and figured out how could I get this done? And Carl Man, I will tell you, I don't know how I did it. And I knew that Lifetime, they didn't really know me for doing this. They were skeptical and they gave—they knew they gave me something that really shouldn't have given me time-wise and anything was gonna happen. So I think in their mind, it was kind of making, we're trying to figure out what we do if he doesn't make it. I turned everything in two days early. They couldn't <laughs> believe it. I turned everything two days in, stayed an extra day and left early. I was, uh, I was like, they, they couldn't believe it. They were just like, this dude is just because yeah, yeah. it was like it was like it was like twenty songs. Yeah,
0: that's, I'm gonna say that soundtrack oh. is a lot of songs. Oh yeah, it was it
1: was it was it was you know all those scenes and it was like twenty songs, of okay. music and. So that. what did you
0: do? Did you have like okay? Did you do like all band stuff for four or five days and then do vocals? Is how you did it?
1: Mm-hmm. I did all band stuff for the first five days in Chicago. I finished that early because when that, when we started, it was like send us what you have when you had it. The first day I started, I had a list of what I wanted to get done. I finished early. And about the second day, we was getting through it so fast. And still, it's getting through it, but also making it sound like the age, you know? So it was sound research as well. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, that's very, I'm very picky about that. Very important. Storytelling, you gotta take them back. It can't sound like being, you know? So it was finding the sounds and getting that feeling as well. So by the time we got to day two, and we was knocking them songs out so fast, I was like, I'm gonna get this deadline. And as I was sending stuff in, they were going like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He is like knocking these things out of the park. So by before the end of that week, I had got them all the bands up. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna come to Toronto early and start getting with the, the ladies. And I went in there and we went in and The first song we did was Is My Living In Vain. When we played it back, the girl said, Well, play us. I don't want you to come out. So I was like, No, that is y'all. I'm ahead of They were like, You got to be kidding me. I was like, No, it's y'all. It's y'all. They made me play and I was like, I can't believe that's us. I was like, Yeah. So we knew, we knew, we knew it was going to be special. So let me ask you this Did you did you
0: have anything to do with the casting of the actors? Thing? You didn't have anything to do with the cast. So you didn't even know if they were even going to sound
1: like. I had, Christine would call me. Christine called me after it was cast, not before. And she told me who she casted. I gave her my, what I thought. I gave her my concerns. And and like uh, Angela who played Jackie, I didn't know her. And She's really a soprano, classically trained soprano who knew how to mimic good. So I told her where to place her voice, what to do to mimic Jackie's sound because it's like Karen, I always tell people like this, that Karen is kind of bright and pointed. Mm -hmm. Dorinda is characters that rasp, but it's still like a character actor in me. I said, Jackie is like this breathy thing as a cushion to tone down like the sharpness of Karen and the rasp of the, that character of that And Twinkies is rich bottomless. You got to have all that. And Denise was that soprano that right. undergirded Karen, the weight of Karen. So I was like, you got to kind of think of the vocals like that if you want this to play back and sound like them. If everybody sings like Karen, it ain't going to sound like Clark If I sing like- it ain't, you got to do all of these to make it work. So I stayed on them about Making sure that they didn't sing like themselves, they sang like their character, no matter what. And that's why playback it sounds so much like.
0: That's insane! I still can't believe you did that with singers not even knowing if they could do it. it.
1: Never sang together before. The oh. first time singing together was when we was in the studio. That's it.
0: Oh my god! I'm shocked. I didn't know that. Yep.
1: Wow. Oh no. No pre nothing. It was. It was like you got to be done because the singing was. You didn't have no. You didn't have no window to mess up. Cause in certain songs, I thought
0: that what you did, what you had done was taking old vocal tracks from in the class. Clark sisters and then just- That's put what everybody thought.
1: All freshly new. I got wow. tracks, all of them. Nothing, no, all that is all redone. There's What's nothing that? over there that's a sample. That's all, What's that's, that's, that's Kiera, Angela, Shalaya, um, um, Christine. And um, um, played to play Denise. Uh, what's her name? Kiera. No, no, no. Um, she she, she acted butt up too. Um, to play Denise, I forget her name. I'm sorry. Uh, the actress. Uh, and you
0: had no and you had no control over casting.
1: Mm, no, I had no control. They came to me. I think was casted. I didn't pick them. No, like, that was I was already casted. And they came to me and just said, "Can you make this sound like?" They didn't want they didn't originally the clark sisters were going to cut the vocals everybody's going to live to it christine said she hates lip syncing she right. really wanted to cast the scene for real right live. and um she said can you make them sound like the clark sisters and i was like i'm not sure but i i'm i ain't gonna go down sinking so All um, right.
0: that was it that was it what was your how did you i'm sorry to be stuck on this i'm just like learning this how did you prepare how did you what what how did
1: you approach doing that? Like, what did you...
0: <laughs> did- it's like I tell people, you got to
1: understand the recipe of the Clark sisters. Right. If you don't understand it. And see, I was obsessed. I'm the type of person that studies. So I, when I'm obsessed, I study every little detail. Like, okay. I will say, no, this is the run. You got to do this so it sounds like the album. Okay. And um, because I was so obsessed going up Growing up with the Clarkses I used to teach all the songs. I used to play the albums backwards and forwards all the time. Oh. So it was in my head. It was oh. in my head. You know, I knew exactly what it was, I knew what the organ was supposed to sound like. Like Twinkie had a certain sound to her organ. And um, and it was and when you think about the Clarks, you think about the organ, because I always I told them like the organ is a character of its own. Like that's a that's a casting. So I made sure that we cut the organ, we cut the organ in Memphis. And a big church in Memphis, so it would sound like Mason Temple. No one can't wait would Twinkle Beater playing on the big speakers and stuff. So all that was done, like, in Memphis to give that Mason Temple sound. So I just did all those details, because I think when it comes to storytelling, get that right. It just takes people back to a certain moment in time. That's, that's so you I mean.
0: had already kind of, you you basically like Questlove or Quentin. You just had kind of an encyclopedia mental... From growing up, right? just growing up, you know, like how you just
1: like, I'm sure there's movies that you just know backwards and forwards. Oh, yeah. And if you had to, if you had to remake them, you know know what you love about what feels, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's that. Yeah.
0: As we wrap this up, top five. This is our top five section. Top five
1: favorite foods. Italian. You want five? Okay. So Italian, vegan. American, Mediterranean, the more Greek, less Greek? Italian. Okay. Um, and Brazilian. Oh. It's funny. I'm from down south, and I don't really like. Soap, I was like, soap. you didn't. You don't like, soap. Really like. I don't really like soap food. <laughs> but you know, and I'm like, telling you, my aunts and them can cook that stuff. I know it's what it's supposed to taste like. I just never really, li- I just never really liked it. It's just like maybe I'll eat some yams and maybe some background cheese, but other than that, I just never really like salt. That's, but that kind of
0: goes with your whole...
1: Uh, yeah, I just contract. never liked it. My favorite is Italian. Italian. It, my favorite is, is Italian, for sure. Hands
0: down. Top five favorite r and
1: singers? Number one, hands down, is Luther. Layla Hathaway. Chaka Khan. Anita Baker. Stephanie Mills.
0: Ooh, Anita Baker is ridiculous. We got a concert film that we're playing on CJC right now all this month is Anita Baker, like 1987. When I tell you I was sitting at my house literally watching my own network because hus she's just
1: insane. I can't believe she still sings like that. Like she her voice now is in impeccable shape. It's, I mean, you know, I I didn't say but I would also say Whitney. She's just
0: yeah you
1: Whitney. Know, Whitney. Whitney is Whitney. Whitney.
0: Top five favorite gospel artists. I know that's hard, but they can be older. They can be younger. It doesn't have to be, you know, any type of decade or century or whatever.
1: Um, Clark Sisters, of course. Hawkins, Smallwood, Crouch, BB and CC.
0: BB and CC, they had they beast. That that stuff from eighty eight to ninety three was you can't touch it. Top five places to visit. Barcelona. Yes. Number one. I love Barcelona.
1: I love
0: Barcelona.
1: I love Spain. I love Spain too. <laughs> um, so Barcelona, um, I love to Sao Paulo. I, I really love being in Sao Paulo. I've never been there. Lot- Latvia, Riga Latvia. It was beautiful on oh, me. Wow. I, I love that Copenhagen. I love, I love, Copenhagen. Yep. I love Copenhagen. And um, I would probably say London. Yeah, London. I can see London. Yeah, London. I like London better than Paris. Most people really love Paris, but I don't know. I just, I, I just enjoy London's energy different from Paris.
0: I like London better, too.
1: Yeah. yeah. But most people love, love Paris. Now, so.
0: top, five, um, top five songs that you've written. Your top five. I know they're all your babies, but what's your top uh, five that you go to that you kind of like, wow, God, thanks. <laughs>
1: um, let me see. God's favor, the, the featured Kelly. Yes. Kim yes. Um, it's a song on the on the on the YRM album called "Not Making Sense, Making Faith." The concept I I just love. Like it's really it's it's a great song, but the, the wisdom in it is just it's really unique. Um, not making sense, making faith. Um, I love Never Seen the Righteous. Yes. I, I for that. That's, yeah, <laughs> I that's love good. that. I um, oh man. On this new album, it's a lot of songs on, on there that I like because I didn't think about radio. I just thought about art. The song I was talking about, um, I wanted to do a song that was kind of like a few tribal influences and in hip hop and gospel. It's called He Rebuked the Red Sea. I love the song because I know it to put it together, it's just a blend of things that's kind of crazy. I love that song, Rebuked the Red Sea. And I think if I would say one last song, it's a song that um, Andre inspired me to write. It's called Beautiful Feet on the home. Yes, I, I love that. Andre inspired that song. We had a conversation. We had a conversation. He inspired that. He told me that people will never understand when you're in this music world, what you give up, that you go places and you do things and you never even get a thank you, that you leave your home all the time. And he said, but one thing I do know is at the end of it, gotta remind you that because of your sacrifice, that you have beautiful feet. Yeah. And that's why we write that song. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's beautiful. Top five um, things to do.
1: Travel, number one. Shop, number two. Um, Go see every theater thing I can, number three. That's my favorite pastime. Um, I love to get to the beach and just, I don't like to be in the water. I like to be at the water. It just does something to my spirit. I'm sorry. At the beach. And um, Number five would be Hanging out and I like to do dinner, but not for the food, for the social. So I love that whole idea of family sitting around dinner and talking and laughing and going, talking about old things in life. I love that just being with family or friends that are family in a dinner setting and just socializing. I love that conversation.
0: Final question. There's two songs that I love that I listen to that has helped me through my career, whenever I had either happy moments or sad moments. One is, one song is called I'm blessed off the Tri-City album. When you're talking Mm -hmm. through the song um, and then uh, I Speak Life. That one is like, I can't even tell you how many times I used to listen to that song and I would cry, literally cry. Thank you. Because I was speaking over things that I am doing now, trying to speak it into existence.
1: Yeah, I got
0: you. What were the two things, what, what, what inspired those two songs is a better question what inspired those two songs
1: um the power of the words inspired i speak life because of in it um, bill winston's church he really speaks about words and what we speak so i i thought about that scripture the power of life and death is in the tongue and i just always wanted to make sure that if i spoke i spoke something positive into the atmosphere so that we would get a positive return and so that's really what inspired it it really had a lot to do Pastor Winston's teaching at church sitting up under him and his teaching on the power of words and us to really be mindful of what we speak. Um, So it would be that. Blessed is really pretty much like a monologue. I just sit back and thought about my journey and I just freestyled it against the the track and the hook. And it really was just like a monologue sitting there just thinking about my journey and just saying, wow, you know, I'm blessed, You you know, what did I do to be so blessed by you? What did I do to make you allow me to be able to write a co-write a song with, with, with Andre and write a song for 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 um um Walter and, and produce the clock? What did what did I do to, to 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 really be the one to get that that honor? So I just I just sit around and thought about my journey and, and freestyle like that.
0: That's amazing, beautiful. Donald, thank you for doing this. Right. I can't tell you how. Much this made my week.
1: Oh man, thank you. <laughs> mom, I told you I would do it and I told you we just spoke. I'm good.
0: I really appreciate it. And um, I can't wait to hear the song. We talked about that video and we definitely okay. Copenhagen. And uh, I, I really appreciate, uh, appreciate the time.
1: Thank you, man. I'm, I'm definitely going to be out here. When I come back to San Diego, I'm going to hit you
0: up. Let's do it. All
1: this right. Carl Jackson Podcast. Until next time, be blessed.
0: Thank you for watching the Carl Jackson podcast and I just want to say a special thank you to Donald Lawrence and his staff for allowing me and my staff to record this and to air this on our CJC network as well as play it and um, release it and broadcast it on CJC radio and all of the um, podcast platforms that you listen to uh, this podcast on. So, So I just want to say a special thank you to him and just really want to say thank you all for watching this weekly because without you We are nothing. We can't do what we do. The lights, the studio, the cameras, none of that stuff matters if you don't watch. So thank you so much for watching. Until next time, you be blessed.